Welcome to another edition of the Rancher Radio Podcast. I'm Jim Watkins, and it's good to have you here. And in a moment, we're going to talk about Paper 111 and the human paradox. Also, what of the modern prophets? We'll talk about all that coming up on the Rancher Radio Podcast. We're going to get into our discussion about modern prophets in just a second here. Thank you for joining me again on the Arantia Radio Podcast. And also there's some announcements to make about upcoming events. And let me see if I can find those. I always save them in my Arantia file. If you've got an event or some event coming up that you want to uh, share, uh, feel free to send your information to me, Radio at gmail.com. I try to like to have things like two weeks in advance because it takes about a week for the podcast to sort of circle through the growing number of listeners that we have. A couple of things. First of all, the Urantia Foundation has announced a, a Urantia book Android app, which is free and is available in 20 languages. So I suppose if you go to Google Play, you'll find the, the Android app featuring the Urantia book. And I've been sort of sort of honking on that for a while. I say I, I just because I'm getting a little older and it's easier to read, but I typically will read the Arantia book on my smartphone or my tablet. And I still have the same experience as if I was reading the book. Some argue that the book just feels better, but my eyes, you know, I, I need bright light. <laughs> you know, it's just so much better to read it on my, but I do appreciate the book. It does have a different feel. Uh, so, but that's out, and I was asking the Arantia Foundation if that also included the Apple, because Apple used to have the Blue Book, and I still have it on my phone, thank goodness, but I couldn't find it recently. So I wonder if Apple has taken it off, taken it out of their, their app store. Who knows? Let me know if you know about that. Um, also, I want to talk about the Arantia Book International School is starting again. Registration opens Monday, April 17th, which is coming up after, uh, well, it's also the day your taxes are due. Uh, courses begin on April 24th. And you can also go to the Arantia Foundation for that, which is Arantia.org. Uh, and then also coming up is IC23 from the Arantia Book Fellowship, the International Conference 2023. And uh, that is going to be coming up. And I'm reading the press release now. Uh, go to Arantiabook.org front slash IC23, urantiabook.org, front slash uh, IC23, and you get all the information on the international conference that's coming up. So that's all exciting. Uh, and I want to talk about modern prophets, uh, just because it came in my into my mind a few weeks ago, I was doing some reading, and I started thinking about modern prophets. Who are the modern day prophets? So let me define what I mean when I use the word prophet. Some might think I refer to a holy man like Jesus or Abraham or even Muhammad. But that is not the kind of prophet I am talking about. You see, history tells us those prophets were a direct revelation from God, a furtherance of spiritual truth for our edification that we might broaden our understanding of God. And, and I believe that's true. So those would be the primary revelations, the epical revelations. But there are other kinds of prophets, prophets like Samuel, Ezekiel, John the Baptist, 
and even Moses. These two were prophets, and that is the kind of prophet I want to talk about. These prophets didn't so much receive divine revelation, but they did do something as important. They kept the truth alive from one generation to another. From the Urantia book, paper 97, Samuel. Samuel sprang from a long line of these Salem teachers who had persisted in maintaining the truths of Melchizedek as part of their worship forms. This teacher was a viral and resolute man. Only his great devotion, coupled with his extraordinary determination, enabled him to withstand the almost universal opposition which he encountered when he started out to turn all of Israel back to the worship of the Supreme Yahweh, or Mosaic Times. And even then he was only partially successful. He won back to the service of the higher concepts of Yahweh, only the more intelligent half of the Hebrews. The other half continued in the worship of the tribal gods and the country and in the baser conceptions of Yahweh. Samuel was a rough and ready type of man, a practical reformer who could go out one day with his associates and overthrow a score of ball sites. And then it refers to as those prophets down through history from paper 9710. From Moses to John the Baptist, here extended an unbroken line of faithful teachers who passed the monotheistic torch of light from one generation to another while they unceasingly rebuked unscrupulous rulers, denounced commercializing priests, and ever extorted the people to adhere to the worship of the supreme Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. Why is that important? So see, in this case, they're defining these kinds of prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, who, for their time and generation that they lived, going back to the days of Abraham and, of course, Melchizedek, which is around 2,000 years B.C., all the way up to the times of John the Baptist, you had a string of people who would continue to carry the truths, uh, albeit diminished, but still enough of the truths to keep that idea of a monotheistic God that we serve. And over time, although there have been ebbs and flows of that, uh, some of the prophets were more successful than the others, but they all had that one key uh, commonality, which is that they carry the truth forward. And so the definition of a prophet in the current context is to include faithful teachers who pass the monotheistic torch of light from one generation to another while they unceasingly rebuked unscrupulous rulers, denounced commercializing priests, and ever extorted the people to adhering to the worship of the Supreme. So in our day, you know, it could be seen that Martin Luther King was a prophet. Even Gandhi was a prophet in his own way with his own people. And he carried the torch, although he was much more political. But still, Samuel was political. Ezekiel, all these people were constantly battling with the city folk, the Canaanites, the Baalites, uh, trying to say, no, 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 come over to our side. Our, our society will be better if you uphold God as the Most High. That was their calling card. If you go with those guys, those are the progressives. Those are the ones, well, back in the day, they would have been considered the city folk, the city dwellers, who had ball worship sites all over the place. And for some reason, people in large cities find it a lot easier to believe in 
anything but a singular most high God. And so the, the prophets of those days carried that truth forward. They never let it die. And then, of course, when Christ came along, he furthered that expansion of the revelation by saying that not, not only did God belong to everybody, but God was a personal, loving father. So uh, I think that, no doubt, the impact of the Arantia book over time, in my opinion, will be the production of these prophets of the contemporary age, as well Christianity will continue to do that. Uh, and those who rebuke the liars and the people who want to run the world like it is today, like a factory, again, going back to the difference between the city folk, you know, the people that want to plan everything, right? And these would be today in the modern day, these would be the globalists, the, uh, the outcome-based people who think they can, you know, arrange society in a certain way, take away freedom of liberty and replace it with, you know, the call of duty to the greater good. This is just my own interpretation. But ultimately it's defined as this, and this is what I've come to the conclusion. In, in today's world, the ideological struggle is who is the ultimate power? Is it a most high spiritual creator from which we are endowed with a free spirit, free will of choice? Or is it the state, the ultimate state, which serves the people? And I put quotations around the word serve. And these are the globalists, the extreme progressives who define things by how we're classified, by race, by gender. And, they, and they're trying to equalize, make everybody the kind of the same. And, and interestingly, in politics, you do not see anybody today who is a prophet. There are no spiritual prophets in politics that I can see. Probably the closest one, you might say that the way that people felt about Obama was similar to the way they would have felt about a prophet, but you could also apply that same measurement towards Trump. There are people who believe in, and I don't want to mix politics, I'm just making an observation that today, because politics, political leaders are completely devoid of any spiritual principles or ideals that they're proud enough to talk about, this is why people still want a prophet. I mean, people are looking for prophets. They're looking for people to give them truth, to carry on from generation to generation. So, you know, the goal of any person who believes in God is to carry the light of truth from one generation to the other, to keep alone the truth of one God and that as free will creatures, he is, the, he is the higher power, not the state, not the UN, not the federal government. And when we sacrifice God for the state and we put all authority into their hands, then it is literally true that we're giving the power of or, over our lives to them. And that's where the conflict comes. So who is the ultimate power? And depending on how you answer that question will reveal who you serve. So there's an observation. So now I want to get into the human paradox uh, for a few minutes here. This is a great paper written, uh, paper 111, section 6, and I want to read through it. And it pertains to our, our hard choices that we have to make in the world today. Uh, it truly does, and, I, and that's why I want, to, I want to explore it a little bit. See how much time? Yeah, we got about five or six minutes here. So the way I look at it today, the big challenge here, and it's getting more intense with now we've got the stock market to deal with and the inflation to deal with and all of these isms that are out there and, you know, who do we believe and all that stuff. And it's getting hard to make a decision. And I think this paper 
this particular paper really sort of helps us understand that dilemma. And I think that's why the revelators, this one is coming from a a solitary messenger, a messenger of the spirit. Uh, The human paradox. Many of the temporal troubles of mortal man grow out of his twofold relation to the cosmos. Man is a part of nature. He exists in nature, and yet he is able to transcend nature. Man is finite, but he is indwelt by a spark of infinity. Such a dual situation not only provides the potential for evil, but also engenders many social and moral situations fraught with much uncertainty and not a little anxiety. The courage required to effect the conquest of nature and to transcend one's self is a courage that might succumb to the temptation of self-pride. The mortal who can transcend self might yield to the temptation to deify his own self-consciousness. The mortal dilemma consists in the double fact that man is in bondage to nature, while at the same time he possesses a unique liberty, freedom of spiritual choice and action. On material levels, man finds himself subservient to nature, while on spiritual levels he is triumphant over nature and over all things temporal and finite. Such a paradox is inseparable from temptation, potential evil, decisional errors, and when self becomes proud and arrogant, sin may evolve. The problem of sin is not self-existent in the finite world. The fact of finiteness is not evil or sinful. The finite world was made by an infinite creator. It is the handiwork of his divine sons. And therefore it must be good. It is the misuse, distortion, and perversion of the finite that gives origin to evil and sin. The spirit can dominate mind, so mind can control energy. But mind can control energy only through his intelligent manipulation of the metamorphic potentials inherent in the mathematical level of causes and effects of the physical domains. Creature mind sons do not inherently control energy. That is a deity prerogative. But creature mind can and choose and does manipulate energy just insofar as it has become a master of the energy secrets of the physical universe. When man wishes to modify physical reality, be it himself or his environment, he succeeds to the extent that he has discovered the ways and means of controlling matter and directing energy. Unaided mind is impotent to influence anything material save its own physical mechanism, with which it is inescapably linked. But through the intelligent use of the body mechanism, mind can create other mechanisms, even energy relationships and living relationships, by the utilization of which this mind can increasingly control and even dominate its physical level in the universe. Science is the source of facts, and mind cannot operate without facts. They are the building blocks and the construction of wisdom, which are cemented together by life experience. Man can find the love of God without facts, and man can discover the laws of God without love. But man can never begin to appreciate the infinite symmetry, the supernal harmony, and the exquisite repleteness 
of the all-inclusive nature of the first source and center until he has found divine law and divine love and has experientially unified these in his own evolving cosmic philosophy. The expansion of material knowledge permits a greater intellectual appreciation of the meanings of ideas and the values of ideals. A human being can find truth in his inner experience, but he needs a clear knowledge of facts to apply his personal discovery of truth to the ruthlessly practical demands of everyday life. It is only natural that mortal man should be harassed by feelings of insecurity as he views himself inextricably bound to nature, while he possesses spiritual powers wholly transcendent to all things temporal and finite. Only religious confidence, living faith, can sustain man amid such difficult and perplexing problems. Of all the dangers which which beset man's mortal nature and jeopardizes his spiritual integrity, pride, pride, is the greatest. Courage is valorous, but egotism is vainglorious and suicidal. Reasonable self-confidence is not to be deplored. Man's ability to transcend himself is the one thing which distinguishes him from the animal kingdom. Then I'm going to close with this because it's at the tail end of the same section. Not long And again, this is a solitary messenger giving this uh, narration. Not long I was present on Salvington and heard a guardian of destiny present a formal statement in extenuation of the difficulties of ministering to her mortal subject. Okay, so grab that concept for a moment. So here's a solitary messenger who was recently on Salvington, which is where Nebadon finds his capital. It's where Michael, Christ Michael, lives actually. It's the center of our local creation. And while he was there, he's listening in on a a statement that was made by a seraphic guardian who had recently been ministering to the mortal subject. This is how this seraphim described her experience from paper 111, section 7, paragraph 5. Much of my difficulty was due to the unending conflict between the two natures of my subject, the urge of ambition opposed by animal indolence, the ideals of a superior people crossed by the instincts of an inferior race, the high purposes of a great mind antagonized by the urge of a primitive inheritance, the long-distance view of a far-seeing monitor counteracted by the nearsightedness of a creature of time. And in this way, this solitary messenger is explaining how this mortal worked with her spirit the thought adjuster monitor, that's the spirit, and how these two interacted in the life of this ascending mortal. The aims of the best between, overshadowed by the drifts of the worst, the conflict, including the flight of genius neutralized by the gravity of mediocrity, the progress of the good retarded by the inertia of the bad, the art of the beautiful besmirched by the presence of the evil, the buoyancy of health, neutralized by the debility of disease, the fountain of faith polluted by the poisons of fear, the spring of joy embittered by the waters of sorrow, the gladness of anticipation disillusioned by the bitterness 
of realization, the joys of living ever threatened by the sorrows of death, such a life on such a planet. And yet because of the ever-present help and urge of the thought-adjuster spirit, this soul did achieve a fair degree of happiness and success and has even now ascended to the judgment halls of Mansonia. And again, presented by a solitary messenger, that group of universe trinity offspring personality beings who originate from the infinite spirit, the third person of deity, and who serve as messengers and teachers throughout creation. So there's your, there's your lesson for today. It's not easy to be an ascendant mortal, is it? No. No, it is not. So we're going to leave it there. And I thank you for joining me on this edition of the Rancher Radio Podcast. As always, if you've got an experience you want to share, last week we shared my experience in finding you know, the Urantia book. What's your experience? Why don't you send me an email and tell me your story? I'd love to share it. And the number, of course, or the email address, Radio at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks again for stopping by. I never thought that we'd be here We were so long on the way Now here we are in his presence If just for the day What a day Thousands of years in a day We are a part of a puzzle And when the picture is done We will have grown in perfection And we will be one Only one Nothing is greater than one